Jeremiah came onto the scene uh, of, of history when God particularly chose him, needed him to be a spokesperson, his prophet. He was carefully selected. I believe he was born and ordained for the purpose that God used him. You know, the scripture, if we go back to the original languages, and this is not going to be a language class, which I would not be qualified to teach anyway, but if we look at the Hebrew language, we look at the context, and it wasn't just like he appeared on the scene. He was, the word is hurled into that place in history. Now picture the thrust. If God was to refer to you as one that was just hurled into this particular place and time for a reason, would we take it seriously? It was a hostile world, and he was there to inform them and bring them under conviction that they had become a compromising and a sinful world. Jeremiah was a priest, a descendant of Abathiah, and a priest during the time who was a priest during the time of uh, King Solomon. So we can see that he held a high and a prestigious place. He had the right lineage, the pedigree, but he was particularly called of God. The Lord commanded him not to marry or to have children due to the impending judgment upon Judah and the removal of the next generation. You may say that he was a prophet of doom and he attracted very few friends, but among them were, and he did have some friends, was his faithful secretary, Barak. But his existence was relatively lonely. You would not necessarily want to join with somebody that would talk about how evil the world was, and that was his primary message. You would not necessarily find joy in in associating with somebody and sitting down today in today's context over a cup of coffee or tea and maybe a movie or a television show and somebody says, you know, how evil this is and and how God is going to call the world to judgment because we have fallen. He would not be the party goer. He would not be the type of person that would draw crowds, at least crowds that would be in favor of him. The Lord gave him, though, the assurance that he would become strong and he would be courageous. And, you know, I believe that's a promise for each one of us when we go out and we evangelize that he will make us strong because he's calling us to do his will and that we can be courageous. And we can see that Jeremiah had nothing but contempt for the false prophets. Those are the people that were out there foretelling things that, as the New Testament would tell us, were tickling people's ears. They were just making them feel good. So there were people that claimed to be prophets, but not giving God's word. They were not ambassadors of God. They were just saying words that would please man. Jeremiah lashed out at his fellow countrymen, particularly for their idolatry, and he was particularly hated because... The weight of evidence was on his side. And oftentimes, people don't want to hear the truth. And when they hear the truth, they shoot the messenger. Jeremiah addressed issues that the people of the day did not want to hear. They wanted to hear all the kind and comforting things about God restoring the land and protecting them from their enemies and generally saving them by impending destruction. I'm going to be weaving, as I said, a little bit through Jeremiah and 2 Peter and Jude. 
as I uh, speak this morning. I'm going to use a lot of scripture, and I just want you to sit back. And uh, The scripture verses are written out on your, your notes, so uh, you don't have to look each one of us. But uh, maybe our starting point in the Sermon on Jude and Jeremiah is in Second Peter 1. It says this, His divine power has given us everything we need for life. Do we believe that? His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. And through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. Do you see much of a a change in the message from Jeremiah to what Peter's telling us? And in Jude, again, we hear, build up yourselves in the most holy faith. Here, faith does not mean the act of believing, but rather what is believed in verse 3. This faith is the body of truth which God has revealed in Christ Jesus in the Holy Scriptures about himself and salvation. Build yourself up in the knowledge and practice of that. Jude's concern is not the method you choose, by which to build up your understanding of the Holy Scriptures. Some people think one Bible study guide might be better than the other, and maybe it is for some people. It's not prescriptive. It's just saying get into the Word and get into prayer. His concern is that, in fact, that you constantly are growing in your knowledge and mastery of God's Word. We study the Bible. We read it. We ponder it. And John Newton said this, he said, not as an attorney may read a will, but merely to know the sense, but as an heir reads it, as a description of the proof of their inheritance. Do you follow that? I'll say that once again. John Newton said, we don't read it as an attorney to know the sense of it, the legal sense, but as an heir, somebody that is a descendant, somebody that is a beneficiary would read it as a proof of their inheritance. What is our inheritance but that of Jesus Christ? The evil people referred to in Jeremiah and 2 Peter and Jude claimed to serve the Almighty God, but they didn't. They served man. They served themselves. Many of the prophets of the day, maybe for their own gain, maybe to attain popularity, maybe to avoid putting their own lives at risk. They preached what the people wanted to hear. And there are ministers today that will do that. They'll preach just what God wants to hear. We've taken, in many cases, we've taken the word hell and sin out of the church because it makes people feel uncomfortable. But folks, it's there and we are to proclaim the full counsel of God. His introduction is interesting. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt that I had to. Now he's saying here, I I felt compelled to do one thing, but the Holy Spirit led me in another direction. I planned to do one thing, but yet I did another. And he says, now I have to urge you to contend for the faith that was once and for all entrusted to the saints. I can just imagine that he was so thrilled about the gospel that he just 
wanted to talk about it, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. We're all sinners, but we are saved through the finished work of Jesus. The Holy Spirit moved him in a different direction, and Jude felt it necessary to write about apostasy. You might be thinking about the scripture where the Lord tells us not to judge, as we too will be judged. The Lord Jesus apparently is telling us you're not allowed to judge anyone. But you know, if we look at the context of judgment, it's not judging the motive for why somebody's doing something. It's, it's, we are to discern. We can use that word discernment, discern right from wrong, discern good from evil, to discern true teaching from false teaching. That we are to do. We look at the Old Testament, we can look at the book of Deuteronomy and Moses. Um, there were, uh, he says, you're not to exhort a false prophet. He doesn't say that you're not to rebuke a false prophet or admonish him. He goes to the extreme. When there's a false prophet, I'm not advocating we do this today, but uh, folks, it says put him to death. The scripture was so hard on false prophecy, it was so hard on false teaching. Now, we're not in the business of stoning false prophets today, but we can understand how strong God's prophet and God at that moment felt about such false teaching. Today, we're often afraid to say anything about what others are teaching, even when it is false and false religions because we can go to jail for it. We've got the Racial and Religious Tolerance Act, although it's been tested. In the United States, I could tell you in Pennsylvania, about seven grandmothers who cumulatively were facing between the seven of them, they were all about 70-plus grandmothers facing jail because they were out in the streets recruiting kids for their Sunday school. They were not posing other world religions as being dynamic equivalents or moral equivalents. They were teaching about Jesus Christ. They were arrested. In the Western world, in Pennsylvania, in the United States, Danny Nalea from Catch the Fire Ministries, I don't know how much you followed that a few years ago, but I traveled the United States with Danny, speaking to congressmen and senators about his arrest. And do you know, throughout his trial, it was proven that the allegations against him were false. Things that he supposedly said, because it was recorded, there was legal transcripts made. It was proven that he did not say things that he was alleged to have said. But he was still condemned because it made people feel unsafe and vilified. Folks, it could be a cost for being a Christian. So we go the easy way. And Jude, verse 14, starting at verse 14, it says, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all the ungodly of all the ungodly acts that they have done in the ungodly way. And of all harsh words, ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These men are grumblers and fault finders, and they follow their own evil desires, and they boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. Is that not happening today? 
Please note that the false prophets were not alone in their condemnation. The average citizen was not let off the hook if they chose to listen to the words. They were to bear the consequences of the decisions. The New Testament says they have left the straight and narrow way and wandered off. And these men are springs without water and mist driven by the storm, and the blackest darkness is reserved for them. For they mouth empty, boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of the sinful human nature, they entice people who are escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it, referring to the sin and to overcome, they are worse off than the end than they were in the beginning. Saying they're worse off. This is in Second Peter. If they knew Jesus and then they went back to the ways of the world and then came back, it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than they had known it and they turn their backs on the sacred command that has been passed on them. And of them, the proverb says, a dog returns to its own vomit, and a sow that has washed goes back to the wallowing. And Jude 3, dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and to urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. Folks, I could go on, and for the next half hour, I could give you scripture verses that talk about knowing Jesus, being faithful to Jesus, warnings on apostasy that it's going to be there. Folks, I wonder, and you're probably saying, what does this have to do with a post-Christmas sermon? When we have one out of four people that comes from another nation and having ministered to Muslims for over eight years, many of the Muslims have come to this country being told that it's a Christian nation. Well, it's really not. Maybe 65%, and it's actually, I think, going down to 60% now claim to have some Christian affiliation that may be the grandfather was a Baptist so they identify on a census as a Baptist. The number of people now that are marking off no religious affiliation is becoming alarming. And they come and they listen to us discuss religious festivals. And when it comes to Christmas time, many of the churches, many of the Christians have left Christ out of Christmas. And they follow the ways of Santa Claus or Father Christmas which has had many of the attributes of Jesus Christ, of God, attributed to him. He knows when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows when you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. That omniscient power is mythically transmitted to a mythical figure. Many of the Muslims come to this country and they see what people do that profess to be Christian and they say, if that's Christianity, the world needs Islam. And many of them are bent 
on taking the Western world for Islam. Folks, we can see throughout history, and in Jeremiah we read enough out of Jeremiah to see because people had abandoned the true God of the Bible that God abandoned his people to be taken over by the pagans and that God would even use pagans, yes, to discipline his own people. Scripture says, let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. Yes mean yes, no mean no. Folks, we need to be proactive. And when I think about the Christmas season, I think we've got to get back to the truth of Christmas and have it all of Jesus Christ and nothing of mythology. I think we've got to get back in our lives and say that it's all of Christ and nothing of ourselves. And if the scripture teaches it, We've got to believe it, we've got to live it, and we've got to practice it. The warnings throughout. Second Peter, and I'm going to conclude on the reading of this scripture. You might want to turn with me, Second Peter 2, 5 through 10. If he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, the preacher of righteousness, and seven others, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the filthy lives of lawless men, for that righteous man living among them day by day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials and to hold the unrighteous for the day of judgment while continuing their punishment. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desires of the sinful nature and despise authority. Let's pray together that the Presbyterian Church or the Christian Church at large is going to focus on the fullness of the Scripture. That we're going to reach the young and the old, and I am so excited again about the uh, youth work that is going on right now. And that rather than, uh, because our art department, the Ministry Development uh, Committee or department is responsible for collecting the data, you know, the population is going up, and we showed the graphs this year, and our church is going down. There were some estimates, and I shouldn't mention which state. It wasn't ours, but we probably would fit into that category. But they said if things continue going the way they're going, there may be three to five churches in their main city area in less than 10 years. Folks, we have a wonderful opportunity to wake up and to... Uh, accept the challenge, accept the charge to become a praying people, to enter into the spiritual warfare to a point where we are no longer comfortable but uncomfortable, but finding our peace and comfort in Jesus Christ. The warnings in Scripture to build ourselves up in the faith. The promises in Scripture that he'll never leave us or forsake us. The promises that he'll always go before us. And also the promise and the warning both 
to watch out for those that will want to water down the faith, to temper the faith, and to draw people away from Christ and give you an empty form of religion, but there'll be no power. It's all throughout the scripture. The New Year's resolution, let's pray together that we will see the church turned around and that the biggest problem we're going to have is what will we do with all the people? We'll have to do breaking walls out and having two services where maybe we haven't had two services in some of the churches since the 1950s and 1960s. One of our churches that was closed down just about three years ago, when I stood with one of the elders in the center of that church, he said, you know, World War II, he said, a half an hour before the service started, you had to be there to get a seat. Other than that, you just stood in the back with the rest of the men. It was standing room only. They were down to six people. Why? What's happened? Has Jesus changed or have we? Let's pray again for the building of God's church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we uh, come to the close of this meeting, we just pray, Father, that it would be on each one of our hearts to be praying for a spiritual awakening, for a revival in the church, and that we'd see many. Father, I just pray that many, many, many people here in Kerrang would come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Guide and lead and direct us, Lord, to your glory. Leave us not into our own devices. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.